All right, guys, we're in we're in Luke chapter six once again. Moving rather slowly in this portion of Luke in the Beatitudes. That's a we'll uh, speed up again once we get past these Beatitudes. I just think they're really important. <clears throat> and so we're going to be in Luke six verse twenty one today, the first part of twenty one, and then also the first part of twenty five. As we go through Luke's portion of the Beatitudes, let me read that to us. It's Luke 6, 21a and 25a. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. And then down in verse 25, Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Let me pray. Father, we just ask you, Lord, to, to send your Holy Spirit, Lord, and help us. Help me to preach Your Word and help us all to receive it, Lord. Give us understanding. Lord, give us understanding and apply this text to our lives, God. And give us the wisdom to be not only hearers, but doers of Your Word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So just real quick, by way of review, last week. So we're going through the Beatitudes, Luke's, Luke's version of them. Luke chapter 6, we talked about the poor last week. Uh, we, looked at verse, we looked at verse 20 where he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And we, and we, and we compared that to Matthew's account. And we talked about, you know, because when we think about the Sermon on the Mount, we think of Matthew chapter 5 through 7. That's what we typically call the, the Sermon on the Mount. And so the discussion is, is this the same sermon? Um, like I said, from the men I read, it was split down the middle pretty much. Some people say yes, oh definitely. Some people say no way. And so I say maybe, I'll leave it at that. It doesn't matter. could be the exact same sermon. Luke could just be right, just write a shorter version of what he heard. Or it could be a sermon he preached multiple times. It doesn't matter. But we see a lot of the same truths in the sermon. And so we see the Beatitudes that he's beginning with. Uh, there's not as many of them in Luke's portion as there are Matthew. But this was one of them. They both start out with this, blessed are the poor. But Matthew sheds a little bit of extra light on, on his, on some of these. And he, he clarifies that it's a spiritual statement, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is so key. When you think about the Beatitudes, that one is first for a reason. Right? Because the Beatitudes, and really the whole Sermon on the Mount, but as we go through the Beatitudes, these, these characteristics are descriptions of a Christian. The poor in spirit. The, the hungry we're going to see today. The meek. right? Who is it that's going to inherit the earth in the end? The meek shall inherit the earth when Christ brings the new heavens and the new earth. But, that's, but this first one is so key that we talked about last week. The poor in spirit. It's describing a Christian, guys. It's describing kingdom citizens. Those in the kingdom... But if you guys remember, what, what, is, what is even more important about this poor in spirit? It's a picture of the person coming into the kingdom, right? Being made poor in spirit. It's just another way of saying uh, when a person is humbled by God, when they are humbled, when they are, when they are repentant, when they realize for the first time in their life they agree with God, they're, they're poor in spirit, they realize, I, I don't have anything to offer God. <laughs> I'm bankrupt spiritually. God have mercy upon me. That's the person who's poor in spirit. So that's what we talked about last week. 
Um, really just that person coming into the kingdom and now all of these different description are, descriptions are describing a citizen of the kingdom. And so, but let's talk about that word blessed one more time because we're going to see it over the next couple weeks as well because it's really important that we understand what he means when he says, blessed are you who are poor, poor in spirit. Today, blessed are you who, who hunger now for you should be satisfied. That word blessed. Remember, it means happy. But it's not a superficial happy, right? It's not a, oh, my team won yesterday. I'm happy. Bob, are you happy? You happy? Did your team win yesterday? Sorry, I picked on you tw- twice in a row. <laughs> no. So it's not that kind of happy, right, that depends on circumstance. Well, if things go well, I'm happy. If they don't, I'm down. Uh, that's, but the word does mean happy, but it's a, it's a spiritual well-being, right? It's blissful. It's inward contentment. That doesn't, it's not based on circumstance. So Bob's happy even though Oregon State lost again. Jamie's happy even though Arkansas lost. I share, <laughs> I share those because that's what it's, you know, used to. It ruined my day when OU lost. Not so much anymore. <laughs> Disappointed, yes, but it doesn't affect our inward joy, right? Our spiritual well-being. Life goes on, right? Christ is on His throne. It's a game. <laughs> and so, that word blessed, no, it's a spiritual well-being, guys. Right? It's having the approval of God. Right? we got a happy destiny, no matter what happens in this life. Oh, wow, I'm being... Uh, and I, don't, and I don't say this lightheartedly, but when you think about... We read about the Apostle Paul last week, knowing his time was coming, knowing he was going to be executed, but it did not affect his joy. He was looking forward to being with Christ. Because he says, and Paul says in Romans 4, that I mentioned last week, he tells us who the blessed man is, right? It's the same Greek word. He said, blessed is the man whose lawless deeds are forgiven. That's who's blessed. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin against him. That's who's blessed. That's what this word blessed means. So he keeps saying, Jesus in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? And it's also important to remember because it gives, it gives it more of an emphasis that that emphatic pronoun in, in Matthew's account, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs, right? It means theirs and theirs alone is the kingdom of heaven. If you're not poor in spirit, you're not in the kingdom. Okay? And then he uses these pronouns. It's, it's emphatic. It means only those who are poor in spirit. Only those who are hungry. So that's really important to remember. Um, so that, that's really just kind of a quick review of last week. And so we're going to see today as he goes on, blessed are you who hunger now for you shall be satisfied. Let me ask you a question, guys, just to kind of get us thinking. Thinking about life and, and thinking about how we can apply this message to our own lives as we go through it. I just want to ask you a question. You ever get anxious about things? We all do. We all do. That's part of uh, being human. It's part of being sanctified as a Christian, right? Christ said, don't be anxious about your life. That's the command. We all struggle with it. We all struggle with it. But you ever get anxious about your life? Maybe, maybe finances. That's things that we all get anxious about. Um, maybe, maybe your status in life. Maybe you, you, you desire a spouse, but you're still single. And, and, and we get anxious about these things. Maybe your health. And, and this type of thing, we all, we all struggle with 
health, because as we get older, right, our bodies decay. <laughs> and so, um, I, I would say, as far as health goes, as far as health goes, though, do you ever, do you ever find yourself like almost overemphasizing your health? And what I mean by that is, we can become health nuts, like got to exercise, got to eat. Because what I'm saying is, the world. These are the, some of these things is what the world focuses on. You know, we're trying to keep ourselves from death as long as we can, and, we, and we're putting our emphasis on the wrong things. And all these things create anxiety. The state of the world. We can become anxious with the state of the world. Our world's going nuts. Our world's going berserk. And all these things can become anxious. Or can cause us to become anxious. And beloved, I think we all, in a large part, we all can um, avoid some of these things as we consider our text today. I hope you can see it maybe about the time we're finished. That it will help us with these things that we all struggle with. Of being anxious about uh, the different things that come into our life. Um, so Matthew's version, or Matthew's account of this same verse, says this. He, he, get, he sheds light even on the second one. Luke says, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Matthew says in Matthew 5-6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. See again, Matthew clarifies It's a spiritual hunger is what he's talking about. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That's that emphatic part again. They shall be satisfied. Only those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness are truly going to be satisfied. So truly happy people, happy in the the biblical term happy, only truly happy people are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Okay? And hopefully as we go through this, you'll see it more and more. Well, let's just ask the question. All of this is just by way of introduction. What does righteousness mean? When, when Matthew says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, what, what does that word mean? Before we answer that, we must answer the question, or make the point, rather, of what we're not to hunger for, okay? Because this is where the world gets it backwards. He doesn't say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for happiness. We're not to hunger and thirst for happiness. We're not to hunger and thirst for blessedness. You know, if you think about that, that's what the prosperity gospel offers, right? It's a, it's a happy gospel. It's a happiness gospel. Come to Christ, He'll make you happy, right? He'll make you wealthy. You won't be sick no more. These are not the things we're to, to, we're to hunger for. That's what the world is. The, the prosperity gospel is the world's gospel. If you just think about it, you can have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life if you come to God. Think about how backwards that is. It's pleasure mania, right? Whatever makes you happy. That's the, that's the world. That's the world. You ever, heard, you ever heard people talk like that? Well, so-and-so, he, you know, he had an adulterous affair on his wife, left his family and kids, but he's happy. Bless his heart. That's not what we're to seek after. That's not what we're to hunger for. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not happiness. So what does righteousness mean? Does it mean justification? Right? Because when we come to Christ, we're, we, we receive the righteousness of Christ. That, that, is, that is an element. Right? That's the person who's poor in spirit. They enter the kingdom of heaven. They receive the righteousness of God. 
We should hunger and thirst for righteousness to be right with God. So yes, that is what it means, but there's more to it than that in, this, in these verses. It's also sanctification for the believer. To be made righteous. That's what this language is, guys. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst to be freed from sin. So it's speaking to the person already in the kingdom, the Christian. It starts with justification, right? We're made poor in spirit. We hear the gospel. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. We realize, wow, I'm not a good person. I'm not righteous like I thought I was. I'm under the judgment of God and God is offering His Son and His, and His mercy. Lord, save me. And now we're in the kingdom. It's that hunger to be freed from sin. It's that hunger to be right with God. Not just saved, but to be walking with God. To be pleasing to God. To be free from the power of sin. You realize unbelievers don't desire that, guys. Unbelievers don't desire to be freed from the power of sin. They don't desire to be pleasing to God. It's a, it's a hunger to be free from the very desire for sin. Right? Isn't that one of the great things to look forward to in heaven? No more sin. And that's what separates the true Christian. Is wow, you know, you heard people say, Wow, heaven's gonna be boring. No. And we all don't know. We have very little knowledge of what heaven's gonna be like. It's gonna be greater than we can even imagine. But I know one thing Christ will be there and sin won't. Amen. For the Christian, that is that is as good as it gets. To be holy, that's what this language is. Blessed are those who hunger after righteousness. It's to, it's to be holy, to be godly. The writer of Hebrews says, without which this holiness, no one will see the Lord. And yes, it is talking about obviously the righteousness that justifies us, but it's also as an evidence of salvation, this this holiness, this sanctification that should be in our life if we're truly born again. To know God. That's what it is. This hungering. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's this desire to know God more. Did you notice when Carl read that a while ago? Paul saying, that I may know Him. I thought you already knew Him, Paul. Paul knew Him, but he wants to know Him deeper. That's the Christian. That's this man to know God, to fellowship with Him. Do you desire more fellowship with Christ? That's the question. 1 John 1, 5 and 6 says, God is light. Amen? God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, that's habitually. We're habitually walking in the darkness. We lie and do not practice the truth. That, ver that verse there is a problem for the antinomian, the person who says, right? The person who says, sin all you want so that grace may increase. No, that's not what John says. But that's what, this, that's what this hunger is for. This hunger after righteousness, church. This hungering for righteousness is to be like Jesus. Do you hunger to be like Jesus? That's, that's what it all is. So that... That brings clarity. I say all that. We're looking at that word righteousness. It brings clarity to our text in Luke. Whenever Luke simply says in verse 21, Blessed are you who hunger now. He's not saying, man, if you're starving and hungry, you're blessed. 
But the guy who's eating is... That's, it's a spiritual language. That's what this is. Spiritual language. Blessed are those who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. This is the, this is the picture of the true kingdom citizen. The one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. And so, we're going to look at three things today out of, this, out of this text. And the question I have for you guys, at the top, it's on the back of your bulletin, how can you know that you're hungering for God? How can you know that you are hungering for God? We'll look at three things. The first two are in verse 21, and the last one in verse 25. How can you know that you're hungering for God? First of all, you'll be desperate. There will be some desperation. You'll be desperate. Again, Matthew's, Matthew's um, account says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Those are just synonyms, meaning the same thing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. What does this language mean, this hunger? What does it mean when it says, you'll hunger? So, so we're just speaking of the word here, hunger, guys. It speaks of a strong desire. Okay? A strong desire, a strong pursuit of something. Okay? Regardless of what that something is. It could be bad or good. We're just looking at the word hunger. It's a strong pursuit, a, 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 a passionate force inside the soul, a driving ambition for something. Okay? Again, it could be something good, something neutral, something bad, something evil, but that's what this hunger is. I think of, again, my, my background always goes to athletics. And I just heard Mike Tyson say the other day when he was heavyweight champ in the 80s, that, uh, and this would be any of these great athletes that make it that far. There's a reason. Yeah, they're, they're, they've got much ability. But he said, I would always wake up at 4.30 in the morning to do my road work, to run, do my running. Because I knew nobody else got up there early to run. So I always wanted to. He was champ. But in order to stay on top, you got to work hard. He said, then I started hearing some of my competitors getting up at 4.30 in the morning. So I started getting up at 2.30 in the morning. That's that driving ambition. That's that hunger for the title. That's what that word means. Apply that to any area of life, right? Man, I have to pass this test if I'm going to pass this class. <laughs> or maybe you got a job. I have to pass this test to keep my job and to provide for my family. So that hunger is going to drive you to accomplish that. So that, that, that's what that word hunger means. And so it can be used negatively as well. You can, you can hunger after all kinds of things that are evil. To show this from the Scriptures, there's a couple examples. Turn to Isaiah you don't have to turn there. You can if you want. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. I want to share with you real quick two examples of this very thing from the Scriptures. This would be a negative look at this. At, at this, word, this word hunger. You're not going to see the word hunger, but the meaning is there. Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 15. The immediate context is the king of Babylon. But most theologians also apply this to Lucifer when he was kicked out of heaven. Okay? And you can hear that in this verse. Listen to this. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the, son of the dawn. You have, you have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. 
So the king of Babylon, and I think it's also pointing back to Lucifer, they wanted to be like God. And what did it cost him? He got kicked out of heaven. So that's that, but that's that same, is that just that consuming desire for something. And this, in this case, something very evil. And then I want to look at one in the New Testament real quick in Luke chapter 12, which we will eventually get to this passage, but Luke 12, 16 through 21. We see another evil desire of this, of this driving desire, which is really synonymous with this hungering that we're talking about. Luke 12, 16 through 21, Jesus telling this parable. Uh, 12, 16, and he, Jesus, told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This man had a consuming desire for material possessions, and he lost his soul. He had strong desire, strong hunger, but it was placed in the wrong thing. And so that's just an example of the way this word is used. This, this strong desire. Guys, we're all right, we're all created by God. We're all made in God's image, and we desire things, right? We desire things. Some things we desire, we have a hunger for, are good. Some things we desire are bad. Some are not bad in and of themselves. Maybe they can become bad. Anything can become bad. We can idolize something. But sometimes there's very unholy things that a person may have this hungering for. You know, you think of illicit sexual relationships. That's obviously an unholy desire of this, of this kind. Again, material possessions. We, we've looked at things that aren't, aren't bad in and of themselves. If you're an athlete, you should have a, some kind of a desire if you want to be successful. But any of these, even desires like that, can become out of place, out of balance. We can even have good desires. Really good desires. Hopefully, if you're married, you desire to be a good husband, desire to be a good father, desire to be a good employee, all these things, desire to be a good student. And so that we have all these desires, and some of them are good, beloved, but, but to our point today, to our text, we need to desire the best thing. The best thing. Isaiah 42, verse 12, clearly tells us what this best thing is. It's the, it's the uh... no, I didn't read this to you guys. That was Psalm 42, but listen, Isaiah 42, ironically. Uh, As the deer pants for the water brooks. Oh, do you hear that language? That's that same language, guys. This desire, this thirst, this panting. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O oh God. That's where our hunger needs to be. Okay, we're going to hunger and we're going to pant after all kinds of things in this world. And sometimes we need to to be successful for what God has called us to do. But our, our hunger needs to be for Him. He says, My soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God. 
This is the man who is blessed. Blessed are you who hunger. This is the man who is blessed. This is what this text is talking about. The man who is thirsting. The man who is hungering after God. Is this you today? Is this you today in your Christian life? Right, right where you're at in your life? Are you, are you thirsting after God? Are you, are you hungering after God? Are you desperate for God? Back to that word. There's a, there's a desperation in it. You see, this, this, this hungering and thirsting, when we realize, guys, when we realize when we're made poor in spirit, and we realize how sinful we are and how holy God is, it creates a desperation, right? I mean, that's what this word, this hunger, there's, there's a desperation to it. We come into the kingdom desperate. The man coming into the kingdom, when you're made, you're first, you're made, you're, you're made poor in spirit. You're, you're aware of your need for the first time in your life. That, wow, I, I, I am a sinner. And God sends sinners to hell. And Lord, I agree with you. I deserve it. That creates a desperation. You see, the man who is, has been without water for a day, yeah, he's thirsty. But it's not a desperate thirst. A man who has been without water three or four days, that's desperation. The man coming into the kingdom is desperation. And so this need, this need for God should be a desperate need. But not just for the person Coming into the kingdom, beloved, I hope you, I'm speaking to myself as well, are we desperate for God as His people? Are we desperate to know God like Paul was saying, that I may know you? That should be our greatest desire in this, in this life. Is this hunger for God, is this what drives you as a Christian? Dear Christian today, it should be. Should be what drives us. We should want God more. It shouldn't be, well, I'm saved now, and I'm gonna coast. We don't keep our we don't keep our salvation by any of this, but we, we want to love him, we want to know him. We can't get enough of him. Okay, so that desperation, that's the first thing we see. How can you know that you're hungering for God? There should be some sense of desperation that I just want more of Christ. Just like the deer panting. Secondly, you will be satisfied. You'll be satisfied. You'll be desperate, and you'll be satisfied. In verse 21a again. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. It's God's promise right there. That's an easy point to put, right? I mean, it's just right there. You shall be satisfied. You shall be satisfied. To the point, guys, none of the above examples that I shared. Just... Things that I was thinking off the top of my head. None of these other things in life will satisfy you. That's the point. None of these things will satisfy. Chasing after finances will never satisfy. Chasing after a relationship will never satisfy. Obviously, guys, these are things that God graciously provides these things. These are things we need. These are not bad things in and of themselves. But they don't ultimately satisfy. And so even Christians can get off on chasing after things that are never going to satisfy and are going to bring a lot of anxiety into the life. 
spending all of your time worrying and prepping for this world, what might happen. Not going to satisfy. Are those wise things to do? Yeah. But people can go overboard with it. It'll never satisfy. Again, some of these things are not bad at all, but they need to be in they need to be kept in balance as a Christian. We're to be pursuing with all of our hearts Christ. Being responsible in all these areas, but pursuing Him. And so that word satisfied, he says, Blessed are you who hunger, for you shall be satisfied. The, the, the word is used frequently of the feeding of animals until they want nothing more. That's, picture that. Animal eats, he's satisfied. That's what the word means. You guys, most everybody in here, not everybody has met our dogs. Buddy and Casper, right? One's a very, just a sweet dog, very smart dog. The other's dumb. But they both like to eat like most big dogs. And so I feed them. I feed them every night about the same time. A little bit in the morning, but I mainly feed them at night. And they, and they like to eat, and they, they eat it all. And, um, and so that's just kind of the daily routine we have. And so on Thanksgiving Day, we had lots of leftovers. You know, just they were getting things. <laughs> I didn't realize how much my wife and others were giving them throughout the day. And so I went to feed them that night. The normal amount would always feed them. And I noticed, I even told Trish, yeah, they didn't even eat half their food. Well, guess why? Because they were satisfied <laughs> from Thanksgiving. But that's what the word means, literally. It's, it's this feeding of animals until they want nothing more. You hear God's promise? Blessed are those who hunger, for they shall be satisfied. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, the fact that God satisfies us. You see, our part is to seek God. Christ, that's our part. We have a part in this as Christians, right? We talked about it in the men's group yesterday. Really the same thing we're talking about. This whole Christian life and, 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 and pursuing after Christ in all these different areas of our life. You know, we're to be confessing our sin. We're to be uh, fellowshipping with God's people. We're to be under God's Word. We're to have personal disciplines in our life. Are you in the Word of God? Are you, are you spending time in prayer with God? All of these things. It's our part to seek God. God's part is to satisfy. Listen to Psalm 22, verse 26. It says, the afflicted. The afflicted just means the meek, the humble. Those who have been humbled. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him, they will praise the Lord. You hear that? Those who, the, the afflicted, the poor in spirit, will eat and be satisfied. You can find a Christian in this world who has nothing in this world but has Christ and is truly walking with Christ and he's going to be more content and more satisfied than the multi-multi-multi-millionaire because they're satisfied. There's that inward contentment of knowing Christ, of being filled with Christ. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him, right? Not those who seek the blessing, not those who seek what God can give them, but those who seek Him will praise the Lord. Beloved, this is intentional language in our part. Listen to John 4, verses 13 and 14. This was Jesus at the, at the well with the Samaritan woman. 
He said, everyone who drinks of this water. He's talking about literal water, guys. They're sitting at a well and they're, and they're having a discussion around water. So he said, whoever drinks this water will thirst again, right? Carl, is that water you're drinking? No? But you, you guys have probably drank water today, right? But you know you're going to be thirsty again. I mean, that's an, that's an obvious thing. He's stating the obvious. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. The water, But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So church, whether it be literal water, like Christ is using there as an example, or whether it be some of these other things that we've mentioned, whether it be something like water, whether it be illicit sex, whether it be a wrong relationship, whether it be a big, huge bank account, whether it be the greatest diet and workout plan, whether it be the top of the ladder in your company, whether it be the perfect prepping for disaster. Some of these things are bad. Some of them aren't bad at all in and of themselves, but none of them will satisfy. Only Christ will satisfy. That's, that's Solomon's whole point in the book of Ecclesiastes. When he writes that book and everything he's saying. Because he had it all, right? He had all the pleasure, all the wealth. And his whole point at the end of the book is that all of these things, it's vanity. It's meaningless without God, without Christ. That's the point, guys. And this, this statement that you should be satisfied, there's a paradox to it, okay? Because I don't want you to think that I'm contradicting the text. But it's a, it's a, there's a paradox. In other words, it can seem con like a contradictory statement, but when I say this, that we are satisfied, obviously, that's what he says. If you hunger after God, you shall be satisfied. We are satisfied in Christ, but we continue to hunger. We continue to thirst for more of Him. So there's that, there's that we're hungering and we're thirsting, but we want more. We want more of Christ. We're satisfied. But our heart yearns to know Him more like Paul in Philippians 3. Paul already knew Him. Paul already knew His sins were forgiven. He had fellowship with Him. He suffered for Him. But he goes, oh, that I may know Him. Psalm 63.1 says this, O oh God, You are my God. I shall seek You earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He said, that's a picture of us here on earth. Oh Lord, my soul thirsts for Christ. I just want to know Him more. But we live in this place, this weary land where there is no water. We're still dealing with our flesh. We're still dealing with indwelling sin. We're dealing with the trials of this world. Right? So there's a sense that, yes, we're satisfied in Christ, but it's the already not yet. We're satisfied already, but not yet fully satisfied. The promise that's coming for the believer that Peter talks about in 2 Peter 3.13, but according to His promise, we're looking for new heavens and a new earth. That's what we're looking for as Christians. Why? In which righteousness dwells. That's why we're anticipating heaven. Because there will be no more sin. There will be no more death. Righteousness dwells. Blessed are those who hunger 
and thirst for what? Righteousness. Beloved, that day's coming fully one day where righteousness will dwell and we will be fully satisfied for all eternity. Our new man, our new man will finally be home. So you will be satisfied. The blessed promise that you will be satisfied in this life and even more so in the next. And then here's the the contrast. Verse 25a that Luke offers in his Gospel that Matthew does not in his. The woe verses. 25a, Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Well fed now. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. So if you remember, we talked about that last week, just this woe. It's just the exact opposition to blessed, right? It's, it's, oh, there's going to be so much grief and pain under the judgment of God. Woe. Anytime Christ used that word, woe. Woe to you who are well, well fed now, for you shall be hungry. We ask the question, well fed on what? What, is, what does he mean by well fed? You mean, wow, we all were probably well fed Thursday. Thursday. Does that mean we're under the judgment of God because we ate a lot on Thursday? Well, don't be a glutton. That's not what it's talking about. It's spiritual language. Well fed on what? Well fed on your own self-righteousness. That's what this language is. I would say well fed on your own deluded self-righteousness. Because self-righteousness, it's a delusion. When men and women are self-righteous, right? I don't need God. I'm not hungry for God because I don't need Him. It's a deception. It's It's the language of the Pharisee in Luke 18. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. That's the well-fed here. The curse is on that man. Woe to that man who is well-fed now. You'll be hungry on that day. I thank you, God, I'm not like other people. Guys, can you think of a more self-righteous statement than that? I am so thankful I'm not like all these other people. I am so good. I am so righteous. I'm not like this tax collector, this adulterer, this extortioner. If you guys remember last week, I said the tables will be turned. That's what all this language is. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. We looked at last week, right? The tables will be turned. The man who is poor in spirit is blessed by God. His sins are forgiven. Ah, but woe to those who are rich. Woe to those who are rich. Remember Remember the rich man we talked about? Basically, in Revelation 3, I don't need nothing. I've got everything I need. I don't need God. I don't need your Jesus. I'm a good man. I'm religious. I'm a lifelong Baptist. Fill in the blank. Man who trusts in his own self-righteousness. The rich. The tables will be turned, beloved. Blessed are those who are hungry now. They'll be satisfied. You'll be satisfied in this life, even more so in the next. Those who are well fed now, eternal hunger under the wrath of God. Maybe you're sitting in here, obviously, right? I'm not God. I don't know people's hearts. Maybe somebody listen. Do you hunger for God? Maybe you're hungering for God for the first time in your life. You see your need for God. 
Are you hungering for God? Do you know God is here to meet your greatest need? He's here to meet your greatest need. Let me read Isaiah 55, 1-3 real quickly. I want you to hear this, this beautiful invitation from the Lord for needy sinners. Isaiah 55, 1-3. He said, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Isn't that beautiful? The condition is this, that you thirst. Do you thirst? Are you hungry? Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Don't let the language confuse you here, guys. It's just talking about the freedom of the Gospel. It's been paid for, purchased for you. You just come. You don't need money. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Christ has already purchased it on the cross. He paid the penalty for sinners on the tree. Now God invites you to come. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Oh, there's that word. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Come and be fed. That's the, that's the invitation from the Scripture for anybody who would hunger. Anybody who would recognize their hunger for the first time, maybe you're, you're, for the first time, maybe you're beginning to see, I'm a sinner, and I need Christ. There's a hunger. I want to be right with God. Then come to the bread. Come to the bread. Come to the one who said, "I am the bread of life." The promise that Jesus says, "Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst." That's the promise. If you do not know Christ, Come to Him. He will fill you. He will give you Himself. You see, the hypocrite says, the hypocrite who is the, the rich man that we looked at last week, the hypocrite who is well fed on himself, on his, in his own self-righteousness says, no, I'm already full. That's a foolish message. Why do I need to come to your Jesus? There's nothing wrong with me. Why would I be hungry? This is all foolishness. Your message is foolishness. I don't need God. So you have to understand, I'm not like other people. I don't need a crutch like you. Woe to you. If that's anybody, woe to them. Woe to you. Who are well fed now, you shall be hunger. I have no hunger for righteousness. Because I already am righteous. That's the cry of the self-righteous man. I'm a good person. I have a good heart. Beloved, the tables will be turned on that day. That's what all this language is. He will hunger. He who is well fed now in his own self-righteousness, he will hunger for all eternity. He will be the man like in Luke 16, wishing that someone could just dip the tip of his finger in water to cool off his tongue while he is in agony in hell. An everlasting thirst and hunger that will never be satisfied. Dear sinner, repent today. Look to Christ. The message from Jesus is not to trust in yourself, but to what? Deny yourself. 
Let everyone who wishes to come after me deny himself and take up his cross and follow after me. The Lord says in Isaiah 40, 22, in closing, guys, He says, look to me, right? Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. The only qualification is to see your need. Do you see your need? Then look. It's provided. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. My last appeal for the unbeliever would be, do you see your need? Do you see your need? Do you see your condition? Do you see that you're spiritually bankrupt? Do you see that you're a sinner like us, like every one of us? Then look. Look. Do you see your miserable condition? Then look. Look to Christ and live. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, for uh, the promise that You will satisfy, Lord, those who are truly hungry. Because You're the one who makes us hungry. You cause us to see our sin. Your Spirit convicts us of our sin. Your Spirit shows us who Christ is, opens our eyes, shows us our sin, shows us our condition. Your, the truth of Your Word tells us the truth about our sin. Tells us what Christ has done for us. And so, Father, we thank You for the gift of salvation, Lord. That's all a gift from You. God, we thank You for providing the solution. We thank You for providing the bread of life. We thank You for providing the living water, God, that You simply ask us to look. To look to Christ. Like the thief on the cross, look to Christ and was forgiven. To look, to repent, and to believe. Lord, You're such a gracious God. You're such a kind and gracious God that You would stoop down in the muck of this world in the person of Your Son and suffer at the hands of godless men to be nailed to a cross what You predestined to happen before the foundation of the world that He would be nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men all for Your glory and our good. Father, we thank You for such a glorious salvation. We pray, Father, that You'd be glorified as we continue our worship, Lord, as we, as we remember You today in, in our communion together, taking Your supper together, as we remember what our Lord has done for us, God, we pray that You would receive our worship today, Lord, as imperfect as it is. We love You, and we thank You for Christ. And it's in His name I pray. Amen.